the beds. What do you think? Oh, yeah. In fact, we have to cut back all the plants. It's fall, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. All right. Can you get the spade? Yep. I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We are two landscape designers who have been working in the field for over 25 years. Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring you our knowledge, our challenges, our foibles, our stories, and our ideas to help you create the most unique landscape for you and your family. And here we are. It's fall for us. But, you know, there's a subject I'd like to talk about. It's very dear to my heart. And it's um, what is drought tolerant landscaping? And um, I'm bringing that because in Northern California and most parts of California, we get very little rainfall, none in the summer for the most part. Yeah, and it's fall right now and it's still no rain. That's right. It's fall and still no rain. You know, years ago, I think in, uh, was it 2006 or 2004, I had an article in Sunset Magazine calling um, life with, uh, something like uh, life without lawn or loving it, life without lawn. Anyway. Um, I remember the backlash I got on that because so many people said, life without lawn, I want my lawn. Oh, I know. It's, it's amazing. People have indoctrinated themselves to think it isn't a yard, it isn't a landscape unless they have a lawn. Right. And I heard that that's a deep, unconscious um, belief in affluence because if you think about it, here in England, there's big estates and lawn. And, and the people that, that were the middle class or lower class, they couldn't even think of having a lawn. So they come to America, and then there's lawn. And as we go across the country where there's rainfall during the summer, there's their lawn. Saturday, you're pushing that lawnmower, and afterwards, you sit on the porch and have a mint julep or something. You're absolutely right. In <laughs> fact, you and I talked about that before, and it was, it was a sign of affluence. I mean, the horse-drawn carriage came up there and you would you would see this big massive lawn area and it made and it made you feel like I'm there I made it and everything and um, and you're right I mean my sister lived in Wisconsin for years and all summer long she didn't need irrigation or sprinklers because every single day it it uh, sprinkled or it, it you know they had rain whereas all summer long we have sun we have sun and and I remember at a certain point when the drought was at its just its its maximum, people would put out signs saying brown is the new green. And right, I thought, right. no, I'm sorry. Brown is not the new green. The, the thing to do is not let everything die, but instead transform your landscape into something that can um, survive in the heat and take very little water, which is drought-tolerant landscaping. I agree. In fact, in my old neighborhood, that's exactly what happened. Everyone let all their lawns die, and they didn't plant anything. And then when we finally started to get rain and we almost caught up the next thing they did was instead of reevaluate and putting in low water use plants that can be beautiful they put their lawn back in and it was like you obviously don't get it no no it's crazy and with the fires that we're seeing we're seeing because there's so much dry brush everywhere and yep. um, there are yep. better ways to do things and I remember being at a a really lovely dinner party that my clients um had me over and of course we were all drinking wine and uh, her husband said what a great idea uh, to have a drought tolerant uh, landscape <laughs> so from, from now on from then on I always thought of drought tolerant instead tolerant, of drought tolerant yes. 
So I think the biggest misconception, and, and you and I, have, of course, have talked about this ad nauseum so many times. When you say drought tolerant, when you say low water use, people's first reaction is the Mojave Desert. It's going to be sand, rock, and nothing else, maybe a cactus or two. Or some sagebrush, you yeah, know, yeah. going through. I remember going to our local nursery, and um, no, no, I was at a pottery place, and someone said to me, oh, you do drought tolerant landscape, or or um, I know you're a landscape designer. I have a sod farm. I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm really into drought tolerant landscaping and designing that. He said, no, 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 don't, no. Um, and it was uh, Ed Zuckerman from Delta Bluegrass, Delta Bluegrass, and he said, what we've been doing, we we saw the writing on the wall, and what we've been doing is formulating grasses that take much less water. So what it means is that you could literally, not literally, but figuratively, have your cake and eat it too. Exactly. And speaking of Delta Bluegrass, they now have come out with it, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, there's a really wonderful lawn substitute that actually you can buy as sod. So instead of plugging in your ground cover and waiting six months to a year for it to fill in, you actually roll it out like you would a sod, and you match it together within two weeks, it's already knit, which means the roots have already um, grown down, and hold it and you've got this lush green wonderful quote-unquote looking lawn it's called carapia it's called carapia it's k-u-r-a-p-i-a it's a um, basically a japanese grass that they've formulated they, it's been a testing in southern california for over oh probably seven eight years now it is so invasive which is what you want for a lawn okay if you if you think about bermuda grass you're looking at invasive, invasive okay? Yeah. Except this carapia is not your normal blade grass lawn. It's a broadleaf, and you can mow it or not. If you don't mow it, and you have experiences with this, it puffs up and it has little white flowers. Yes, and it's beautiful, and it blooms. And when Roberta was saying invasive, it's true. I had used it with a, um, I put it in place of a lawn. They had, and this was a big job. It was 15,000 square feet of lawn and they were dying because of their, their water bill. So we switched out and we designed it to the carapia. And we also, to break it up, we had done this dry creek bed that was beautiful. And around on one side, we put these wonderful plants that you'd expect to see by a dry creek bed. Put in the carapia, and um, once it was established, you water it once, maybe twice a week at the most. Right, it takes 60% less water. Than exactly. But the interesting thing is it is so hardy that it literally grew over all the plants. <laughs> so instead, what we had was a planting area, dry creek bed, and carapia. And carapia, yeah. Well, um, yeah, so obviously you're going to have to border it. But another wonderful thing about carapia is that when it does bloom, the bees love the flowers. So it's a perfect lawn if you have any fruit trees around as a pollinator. I agree. And I have a real quick story about that. The job that I was telling you about, you know, they spent all this money and they put in the carapia. And about a year later, and this is this is the God's truth. Uh, a year later, I was driving by and I wanted to see how it looked. And I drove by and I was a little further away. I didn't get out of my car yet. And I looked over and it was like, oh my God, they took the carapia out and put the lawn back in. I was thinking, how could they do that? Oh, no. And I was really, really upset. So I got out of my car and I went close, close up to look at it because from far away, I would swear it was a, it was a lawn. It was still the carapia. They hadn't taken it out, but what they had done was they mowed it. They actually weed whacked it. Oh, I see. And when you were driving by, 
I'm, I'm not joking. I swore it was lawn and I was getting so angry. And then, as I said, I got out there and I looked closely and I actually wound up taking pictures of it from the car and close up to show my clients. And I have to say, I was totally and completely blown away. It's amazing. It's a wonderful grass. It is more expensive than a normal lawn, yes. you know, if you're buying the sod. But like anything that you're going to do that's sustainable, if you pay the money up front, it's going to pay itself through the years. Absolutely. And the one thing I will tell you that I did learn is it needs full hot sun. It does not thrive in the shade. I, it doesn't. And you know what? On their flyers, it says it does. It says part shade. And I'm having a problem right now because we did, um, you know, we, we put in Karapi in a place that was difficult to get a lawnmower to. It's on a slope. So I thought this is perfect. Right. And yet it's having a hard time. So Yeah. So it needs, I found the same thing. We had done a job um, and designed it and in the full sun, thriving. But there was some filtered sunlight underneath some trees mm-hmm. and um, it's just creeping along and looking terrible. So what I tell people, whether the the manufacturer or the grower says partial sun, no, it needs full hot sun. The hotter the sun, the better it does. Needs full sun. You know, another great alternative, if you want to have a lawn, we're still talking about drought tolerant, but we're also talking about the cake part of this, right? Having your cake and eating it too. Um, They have what's called a mow-free lawn. They have a native mow-free and a regular mow-free. And that's um, a lawn that you don't mow mow free. It gets 13 inches high and then lays down in whorls. So there's a few things you need to know. First of all, if you have pets, dogs, good luck trying to clean that out of the grass. Is that so, the creeping fat red fescue? Uh, well, it's a, it's a blend. It's, it's got all blend. these different yeah. things. I love it, but it's four large pieces of um, property because if you're going to replace your small, let's say you're in a production home and you have X amount of square feet in front and you take out your lawn and you put this mow free. Well, your neighbors will think you're letting it all go to pot. Exactly. Not regular pot, but pot. (laughs) (laughs) Then you pay for the whole landscape. That's right. But you have to make that distinction now in California. (laughs) Right. And what Roberta's saying is true. So what I use, and I've used it also, and it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it's recommended, I mean, design-wise, if we're talking how to make it look the best, is to put it in kind of a mounded area, maybe accent it with some really beautiful boulders. Big boulders. Big boulders, because what Roberta was saying is right. If you just put it in a flat expanse and then you put it in there, it looks like, oh my God, you've left the regular lawn go to seed and Mm -hmm. it's just looking weedy and everything. But if you have the change in elevation, and let me just qualify, when I say mounding, I'm not talking about burial grounds I'm saying maybe 12 inches 18 inches gentle inclines very gentle mounds and when and as Roberta said big boulders you know not a little pebble then it has a much more aesthetic and much more pleasing look it does it's very natural looking another thing to keep in mind which I don't think um, many people know about this but there is a type of irrigation for lawns normally lawns would need um, overhead spray and they do have low flow sprays and very efficient but there's a system a grid system of um, drip that can go underground called netafim. And these netafim lines, they have, um, they're, they're done in a grid. It's a whole system. You, you know, it's got a filtration system. You, you know, it's, it's all regulated for its pressure. But the beauty is a couple things. With the Nomo, trying to get um, pop-up sprays to go up and over 13 inches is, is really difficult. And um, in the summer, any type of spray is going to, a lot of it is going to be gone to evaporation. Right. When it, I mean, it gets up to 110 here, sometimes 112. And if you're overwatering, it goes into the gutter. So this underground system, Netafim, and it's not just for 
sod, you know, if you have a tight planting or fruit trees, you could use it as well. So, you know, in the last, you know, I hear people say, oh, drip systems, you know, the heads pop off. The, well, it's true. Nothing is 100%. But the savings, the water savings, the conservation, and and if you have a nice mulch on top, you know, that that's keeping the moisture down below. So I think it's a great... And the Netafin is, she's absolutely right. In fact, we used to refer to it as leaky pipe because if you can imagine, and a lot of people are going, well, what are you talking about? Um, Imagine taking pipes, putting them underground and having their little teeny holes so it leaks. And what they do is they wrap it with a fabric so the fabric collects the water so it actually disperses it so it's not just in one place. And the beauty of that is you don't have the problem of a single um, drip head popping off. Uh, My problem with the drip heads, you know, um, we live in Davis and there's a lot of hard water. Mm -hmm. And it's true, the the drip drip heads clog up. The other thing is, is that, and this is very funny, but some people that own dogs like myself, uh, the dogs love to chew on drip heads. Right. So they would go up to my, I have raised planters and I also had pots and the dog would chew off the head. They just don't have the squeaky thing in it. (laughs) No, exactly. And for some reason... Um, they have this thing about pipe and these plastic heads and they chew them off and then you turn on your irrigation and the whole thing would shoot up in the air. So the one beautiful thing about the Netafin is, and also with when you have, um, animals that dig and everything, you don't have to worry about someone, you know, going ahead and chewing off the heads of the, the, the drip heads. You know, um, we recently had really high winds here in California, really high winds. In fact, it's one of the um, major dis- destructive things that happened with the fire in conjunction with the fires that are going on. But anyway, um, so I came home one day and my electricity was off. And I thought, oh, my God, they shut the electricity. No, we're, we're on SMUD, not PG&E. However, the high winds had knocked it out for a while. And then what it did is it threw my whole irrigation system off and my lighting system off. So you, and... So I was working in my office and I heard this noise. I thought, what is that? And I, I went outside and thank God the, that the electricity did go off and change the timing because a, a drip head had popped off and the water was spraying directly at my house. But the fact is, is that particular drip head went on over 10 years ago, right, maybe right, 15 years right. ago. So yes, there's, you know, things like that happen, but they're not that common. And every year they make better products. They do. And it's really interesting. The one thing that I tell people is um, we get lulled into this panacea of we don't have to do anything. And no matter whether you have an above ground irrigation, you know, pop ups or whatever it is, or whether you have drip irrigation, you need to at least once a month, maybe once every couple of months, Take the time, turn it on, take a look and see whether one of the heads is clogged, whether the head is being being blocked by one of your shrubs or perennials. Um, but you have to check the system because occasionally a head will pop off and all the water is just kind of going down the drain. And we get so used to it's taking care of itself mm-hmm. that we don't take the time to check. I mean, no maintenance when it's funny when people... I get that every day. Every time I meet with a client, we want low maintenance. We want no maintenance. You know, and it's like we want a joke. No, you want a yard that you have to work slave to. Well, of course you want low maintenance, but the only no maintenance yard is pave it and paint it green and put in plastic (laughs) flowers. There is a certain amount of maintenance. It's like owning a home. I mean, 
yes, you can make it very easy on yourself, but you still have, there's deferred maintenance. You still have to clean the house. You still have certain things that you have to do to maintain your house and your landscape. That's true. Um, speaking of maintaining, when we put a landscape in, now I'll talk about different types of clocks. Would a, a normal irrigation clock is set for, you know, each valve will run for this amount of time on these amount of days. Now, when a landscape first goes in, the plants need more water. Absolutely. They've come from a, a nursery where they're getting hits of high-powered uh, fertilizer constantly, and now they're being put into the ground and you know, the temperatures could be very hot. So the landscapers will leave the irrigation clock on a higher running time, maybe every day. Well, even though I put a little guide in for my clients saying, okay, after two weeks, two weeks. three weeks, you're going to start bumping it down. You have to watch month by month what the, you know, temperature is. If it's raining, turn it off. I hate when it's raining hard and seeing lawns being watered. Anyway, um, they do make clocks. So that's a little bit of maintenance. Yes. You know, you check out, oh, it's really hot. The plants are going to need more water. So you just turn the, the dial up on your clock and it, and it waters for a longer period of time. However, there are more expensive smart clocks that actually run via satellite. Yes, it's called Hydrolyze. Is this new um, controller, which I recommend. It's put out by a company called Hunter. And I just put one in in my own place. And I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of amazed. Um, it's tied into the internet. So the thing that amazed me was, okay, so I have mine set to go three times a week for 20 minutes. But... All of a sudden, the temperatures in the 70s and 80s, it pops up to 98 degrees. And where I would normally go out there and maybe up the amount of time that it's watering the different stations, this clock basically did it for me. So though it was going on at 20 minutes, it read on the internet that Thursday, Friday, whatever day it was going to water is going to be 98 or 105. It automatically upped it by five minutes. So it was now going 25 minutes. At the same time, the wonderful thing is um, it goes by the internet and, and the weather channels. And if all of a sudden, Thursday, it's supposed to go on and it's supposed to rain on Thursday and it starts to rain. It automatically shuts it off so that I don't have my irrigation going in the middle of a rainstorm. So I recommend it's a little bit more money to switch out all of the the timers. And in fact, the, the where we live in Sacramento is starting to require that. But I would switch out all the timers because again, it's all about timing. And what Roberta was saying earlier is so true. One of the biggest mistakes people make is you're right, the landscaper, the contractor puts in the irrigation system and it, it runs for the first two weeks, three weeks, it has to be watered every single day. But you're so used to it taking care of itself that you forget about it. And what happens is you wind up drowning the plants and then they rot. Right, right. And then um, guess who gets the calls? Yes. Yeah, my plant. Well, I just got that the other day. A in complaint fact, department. A complaint. Um, one of my clients said one of their serpentine cedars. Oh. Cedrus. Yeah, beautiful. Very expensive Very specimen plant. Specimen plant in a raised planter. And she never wound up changing the irrigation. So it literally, it's been in for six months. And it now rotted and died because the irrigation's been going, going, going. So she said, well, I'm afraid to put a new one in. And I gave her, I lined her out what she needs to do. At the same time, the one thing I do want to say is when people, you buy drought tolerant plants. This is my biggest pet peeve. This is the biggest joke. So people say, well, I want 
I want you to design with drought tolerant plants. So they arrive and they actually plant it. And in their eye, their mind, it doesn't need any water. So the first day they water it, maybe the second day they water it. And then they say, well, it's drought tolerant. It doesn't need any water. Okay. It hasn't established roots and they stop watering it. And by the end of the week, the thing is dead. Okay. Let's talk about the difference. And and, um, and then we're going to wrap up because we'll do another session on actual drought tolerant plants. Absolutely. But there is quite a big difference between drought tolerant plants and Xeriscape. Yes. Okay. Xeriscape, which is not Z-E-R-O, it's X-E-R-I, Xeriscape. These are plants that can survive without water. However... The first year they needed water to be to get established, okay? But a drought tolerant plant simply means it takes less water yes. than a regular plant. Yes. So yeah, you're going to um you're going to kill your plants if you just put them in water them for a week or a month and then the 100 degrees come on and that, and they don't have any water. It's like <laughs> Exactly. And again, what what we're basically saying is you need to get it's like taking vitamins to build muscle. You can't I mean, and I re- equate it back down to exercising. You exercise, you want to you be fit and strong and everything and build muscle. You can't just go to the gym and for two weeks straight, every single day you go to the gym and you lift weights and you do the cardio. By the end of a week, you're going to be dead and everything will hurt. And then you think, oh my God, I should look like Adonis. Is that why? That- <laughs> <laughs> or it's that we're old. Is that, is that why that yeah, happens? Yeah. <laughs> so the reality is you build up the first the first week you maybe do five or ten minutes and then you you kind of space it out and you build the muscle it's the same thing with your plants you water them to establish the roots and make sure the roots grow down deep so they're not sitting on the surface after about a year then you can start cutting back the water and they can take less water exactly. but you can't just automatically drown them and then shut off the water and think they're going to live and you know what all of this is a is an education it's, yeah. it's about education and that's what we're doing here with Digging Deep. We're here to share our experiences. We've been through it. We've planted plants. We've had plants die. We've, we've, you know, we've seen it all and we've probably done it in our own yards. And um, now that we design for so many clients, we don't have the luxury of putting in things that are just going to die. We try to get the, the right plant in the right place with the right irrigation and try to educate our clients on how to maintain that. Absolutely. And the bottom line is, since we're in the trenches actually doing it and we're talking to clients and we also have to field the complaints. And so what happens is people complain and then they start to doubt that you know what you're doing but it's not that we're giving them false advice it's that it all comes back down to practice and maintenance and function how you take care of it you have to understand that no matter what you do you have to take care of it you have to maintain it you have to be aware of what's going on and you can't just point a finger and say well you 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 recommended the wrong plant so you didn't know what you were doing right right well like like we we've, we've spoken about here there are are alternatives that help cut down the maintenance in a huge amount from the clocks to the drought tolerant um, sods to the new irrigation systems and um, we will continue to inform you as new because new products come new out products all, the time. all the time and we will con- this is not one podcast on drought tolerant and zero escape this is one of several that you're going to be inundated with all this wonderful information right and uh and we'll talk about other things too huh? absolutely <laughs> okay well thank you for joining us i'm michael glassman i'm roberta walker and we are digging, digging deep, deep.